Hello and welcome to JBL Radio. I am your co-host, RKG, otherwise known as Michael Miller, General Manager of the Pittsburgh Vipers. And with me, as always, Andrew Taylor, otherwise known as Bedouin, General Manager of the Baltimore Bullets. Good evening, Andrew. Good morning, Mike. It's draft time. We're almost there. Kyle's been waiting for this for the last six weeks real time and the last year in season real time, or maybe last three seasons in, in, uh, in JBL time. So uh, the draft is Friday, and this is our mock draft pod. Sure to be ruined by a flurry of trades, which will come over the next 48 hours, but uh, this is the best time that we could do it to basically review the draft and get everyone prepared for Friday evening, U.S. time, Saturday morning, uh, your time, Andrew. It is indeed. So, um, but before we get into the draft, there were at least one or two somewhat meaningful trades we may want to cover before we talk about the draft class generally and kind of go through our, uh, I guess, our, our annual mock draft, Colluder's mock draft. So take it away, Andrew. What trades have occurred overnight in, uh, in the U.S. time? Okay, so we're going to ignore some earlier trades that might have involved second-round picks because second-round picks don't win championships. Um, but we'll talk about uh, the two that happened today that probably have some level of significance to them because they involve first-round picks and, and alter the order of the mock we're doing tonight. So the first one of those was uh, Philadelphia Warriors and the Baltimore Bullets, uh, that is myself, uh, did a trade this afternoon. Uh, I gave Philadelphia Warriors the 2030 Colonel second round pick, the 2031 Baron second round pick, and the 2032 Huskies second round picks. Uh, and I received the 2029 Mustangs first, which the Warriors had previously traded for, uh, which falls to be the 29th pick in the draft, which with forfeits turns into the 27th pick in this draft. Okay, so... What are your thoughts on the deal? <laughs> I am happy with it. Look, I think that from my perspective, uh, I would rather get a late first in a draft that is obviously somewhat compromised with forfeits, including my own, because that bumps it up the order a little bit, um, whilst the salary is still that little bit lower because it's a lower slot. Uh, so there's advantages to that pick specifically. Um, but also I think, and we'll get into this obviously with the when we do the mock itself, is I think this is a reasonably deep draft for that kind of rotational wing talent. Uh, and so that's a position that I could potentially benefit from upgrading. So uh, that is probably where I'll be looking with that pick. Uh, and from Philadelphia's side, I think it's more a case of he is in a very tight financial situation at the moment. Uh, as, until the kind of three-year banks run ends after this year uh, because he's got to sign McConnell and McDice to contract extensions this offseason. So he's basically trying to get his hand on every red cent he has, uh, and this allows him to kind of gain some assets for later but also maintain his financial flexibility in the short term. Yeah, and it does give the Warriors a few assets to trade down the road once they get a little bit out of their financial pickle that they're in. It's, it's, of course, a pretty reasonable, fair deal. I see it equal from both sides in why there would be reasons for it. I agree with you. I think it's a relatively deep draft. And when uh, I think when you mean relatively deep draft, as do I, it's not like 
we don't know if it's going to be star-studded or anything like that, and there's and it very well may not be. But it seems like there's a pretty good shot to get potential rotation contributors, backups, uh, through the first round into the early part of the second round before it really kind of peters out. Yeah, look, I think there's two ways to looking at you know looking at you know a couple of different ways of looking at drafts. You can look at the draft in how many franchise players does a draft have. Uh, and I would argue that maybe the, the, the most generous assessment of this draft is that there's probably four. Um, I'm not convinced there's a franchise small forward in this draft. Uh, and then you could argue, okay, well, if it's not about franchise players, it's about, you know, how deep are we with above average starters? And in this draft, I think you can make a case that you could potentially get to the lottery if things pan out, the end of the lottery, if things pan out, maybe even a little bit deeper. Uh, and then after that, it's, you know, some people evaluate a draft based on, you know, can I get contributing players, you know, deep into the late first or early second? And if you're a contending team, which are the teams that usually have those really late picks, uh, although, you know, in reality, trades, uh, picks don't get traded quite as much as we trade them in the JBL, is that those backup pieces can make all of the difference uh, in key moments and when there are injuries. And I think there's a lot of players at the bottom end of the draft that make this draft quite valuable. Yeah. So uh, that's a nice segue into the next trade, which is a little bit more significant. Why don't you run down the details of that trade? Okay, let me open up the transaction window again. So uh, the Scorpions traded uh, former first round, first number one, sorry, first round and number one pick Jeremy Jackson, not Johnson, Jackson, Along with are the 2000, sure, are we sure it's not Jackson? <coughs> yep. Okay. Sure? Uh, along with the 2029 Blizzard's first round pick, which the Vegas uh, the Vegas Scorpions owned, that is currently the 20th pick, although it is 19th once you include the forfeits, and two future second round picks, which are the 2030 Hurricane second round pick and the 2030 Warriors second round picks. Uh, they go to the Fireballs. And the Scorpions receive newly minted champion, power forward, Kenyon Fuller from the Fireballs. So, Mike, uh, based on our conversation briefly uh, in DMs this afternoon, you have feels about this trade. Um, all right. So to be let, – let's play devil's advocate about it first before I kind of go into how I really feel about it. Um, so, number one, I think I was pretty consistent even going back to – the mock draft pod two seasons ago and also prior to the draft that, well, I thought Jeremy Johnson would be a solid, uh, solid player. I did not think he was going to be a franchise type player. So not that I want to admit that I was right, but I don't know. Usually franchise players don't get traded two years into their career. Um, but uh, so I, I do think that, uh, jo that Johnson's, um, Johnson's value has somewhat declined and probably is a league-wide perception. And I think the second part is there were some signs that uh, Johnson and um, Swain did not really work out long-term as far as a front-court duo. I think that that was probably a little too premature to pull the plug. There are some reasons why I think they would fit well together. Swain being more of a post player, Johnson being more of a player stretched to the floor. But clearly, and I, I do think that it was a worthy concern for Mike to have both players seem to have a true um, 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, avoidance towards rebounds. They went to the uh, Al, Al Horford School of Rebounding where they are afraid of the ball hitting them in the face and they kind of duck out of the way. So that is a problem uh, in their front court setup, uh, which I do think they need to be rectified. But turning to the train itself, there are a couple of reasons why I don't like it from the Scorpions' perspective. Number one, they gave up a first-round pick, which I think, uh, for the reasons you just discussed, has value at the 20th overall pick because there's going to be a good amount of contributors, I think, in this draft. Uh, they should be getting first-round picks back for a player like Johnson because even though I don't think he's a franchise player and I kind of question the pick at first overall, I do think he's going to be a good player in the league. I do think he's going to be a very nice, above-average, maybe even all-star kind of player once he fully develops, uh, which still, in, in, for a lottery pick, is going to be really good. Second of all, from a cost perspective, uh, Johnson was under contract for $5 million for this year and next year. Uh, the player they got, get, they, they got back in Keon Fuller, he is a good player. He was a former lottery pick. There were some personality issues that seemed to be well metered um, on a Fireballs team that has good leadership with, with Chris LaCruz. Um, but uh, Fuller comes back. He will help solve the rebounding issue, but he's also paid $18.5 million over the next two years. So either he underperforms relative to that contract and you gave up probably too much value to get him in the first place, or he overperforms the value of the contract and now you're paying him $24 million, whereas Johnson may not even get a max contract. So there's that cost perspective. And then third, of course, from the build and the fit, I don't think Swain, I think the rebounding advantages you get with Fuller will not offset the spacing issues you've now created with putting Fuller and Swain together, especially because they already have Trayvon Gibbs as power forward there. Uh, and they have another center, Carter Barlow, who's not one to stretch the floor. So do not like it from the Scorpions perspective. From the Fireball's perspective, I like the move a lot. They have their championship ring. Johnson kind of sets their timetable back a little bit, but you see how he fits their vision. They have Keon Bloom, uh, who was from the draft class, I believe, the year before Jeremy Johnson, if I remember correctly. Uh, so he's kind of on that timetable. So Jaron, the defending 2028 champions, doing a pretty good job in my mind, kind of setting the table for what the next team is going to look like once Chris LaCruz starts to decline. So I think Fireball's clear winner in that trade. Um, we'll see what happens as far as the Scorpions fit moving forward. What are your thoughts? Look, I, I'm, I'm lukewarm on the trade. I'm not as uh, vociferously against it. I do enjoy the fact that you've really committed to the bit of calling him Johnson and just refusing to call him by his actual name. Um, is, it, is, it, is it Johnson or Jackson? It's Jackson. I told you that right before you started and then you repeatedly said the word Johnson like 45 fucking times. Ah, oh, you mind-fucked me. I thought I was getting it wrong with Jackson. <laughs> you got it completely wrong every single time. Anyway, continuing on. Well, hold on. Well, let me re- let me. I'm going to no, go back. I'm going to go through no, my whole thing again. No, we're not, we're not doing the whole round of Shut up, Mike. Shut up. Okay, so no, look, I think pick 20, there's probably some value there for the fireballs, and obviously that rectifies the financials, uh, the financial crunch that the fireballs are about to have. Um I would have liked potentially them to keep it together and actually try to run it back, but I can't really criticize a team for not uh, defending their title when uh, I think it was Eon and I who probably like created that strategy in the JBL. Um, look, I think the fireballs receives a good value. The seconds don't mean shit. Jackson obviously is nowhere near as good as Fuller right now. Fuller is basically a fringe all-star level player and has been probably the last two seasons. Um, Jackson's 
ceiling might be Kenyon Fuller. Um, I don't have an issue with the fit as much. I think Fuller is definitely a better rebounder than Jackson. I think Fuller is a competent enough shooter from the mid-range and outside. Um, so I think that may not be the problem spacing-wise so much. I think also Fuller is a genuine seven-footer. So that gives us an opportunity to see, you know, Fuller sliding and playing some backup five, which I think Jackson definitely didn't seem to be able to do in that system. Although I think Jackson probably is a stretch five, uh, is a, a is an athletic rim running five in the right, in an up tempo system as his as his ceiling. Um, I think Fuller is definitely more capable of playing it in a slow down post centric system than Jackson was. I think my biggest issue is that if I was going to trade Jackson, and I think there was some arguments that based on the fit last season, I mean, it's very early to call it, but based on the fit, you know, maybe that's not the best long-term front court. But I think I would have liked him to get primarily draft collateral back or, or a player on their rookie deal, a, you know, a, a high high potential guy in their rookie contract rather than take on someone a little bit more established like Fuller, who isn't old, but I'm not 100% convinced is completely on the same timeline. Um, so that's probably part of it for me. You know, if anything, I think the one thing that the Scorpions are really going to need going forward uh, to go with that in that slowdown offense with Swain, the man in the middle, I, I really think they need a dynamic wing creator, that kind of, you know, the big and the wing, that kind of Kobe Shaq kind of dynamic. I'd really like to see get someone like that. They aren't very common in the draft, so they're a hard player to get. But I much would have rather seen the Scorpions be really aggressive and like even move Jackson and pick seven or something like that to try and get one of those players rather than this, which is subbing a better version of Jackson in, in lieu of Jackson. So, look, time will tell whether this works or not. I think my concern about it more is the opportunity cost of what deal they could have struck with that asset rather than the return they got. Um, but time will tell. Certainly the salary of Fuller is not going to bother the Scorpions at this point of their build anyway. Um, I mean, Fuller needs to get paid again. Swain will, get, will need to get paid again too. Swain's so... three years. Like, come on. Three years is an eternity. Yeah. Like that's, that's, yeah, he, that's he, he could he could be traded, but I'm saying long term. If you're looking at that build, you are going to have to start paying these guys, and you're already escalated Fuller a little bit. So there is only right. one player, there is only one long term piece on that team right now, though, and that's Swain, and that's three years away. Like there is no other long term piece that you have to worry about kind of staggering contracts yet. It's way too early to start worrying about that. At least let him get two or three pieces of the puzzle in before he has to worry about that kind of shit. Well, could have used Johnson to get one or two of those pieces, but, you know. And that's what I said. Opportunity cost is the concern, not the actual return. Okay. You could, you could stop beating me with a cudgel. Don't be so fucking melodramatic. Oh, oh and then, and then, you, and then you get sensitive. And then you get sensitive. Uh, oh, don't attack me, Mike. Oh. <coughs> Okay, we're gonna move into. The, we're gonna go to the mock draft now. Let's talk to the mock draft, which will which will not be soft. So, uh, you, you kind of touched on a little bit your thoughts about the overall top down value of this class. What do you think, position by position? Where is this class strongest? Where is it weakest? Before we jump into uh, our our order for the mock draft, I think it 
at I think at centre, it's probably a relatively shallow draft. I think there's, you know, there's I've, I've got tiers on my draft board that you're looking at as well, obviously. I think there are, you know, maybe three strong starting centres in this draft. I don't think, look, I, there might be a fourth, but I'm not convinced of that. Uh, in terms of power forward, uh, I think there are, you know, two power forwards that stand above the rest. And there's a few other guys who I think could be really valuable players in the league. One who is, a, I think is a question mark for a lot of people. And I'm sure we'll touch upon him later. Uh, I think small forward is really problematic in this draft in terms of the ceiling. I don't think there's a, a guy you can look at and say, this guy is a franchise potentials franchise small forward here. I think there's a lot of, and, but, but then on the flip side, I think it's a super deep position in this draft once you get past that lack of absolutely top-tier talent. I think the middle class of the small forwards in this draft really drags, and, and it's one of the things that will be really strong in the back half of this first round. Shooting guard, you know, there's easily, and then there's a bunch of guys who I think are above average, you know, who could who you know, grade out to be above average starters. Um, but... You know whether, but they're all just different enough that some people may not perceive them to be a good fit with what they have in place already, or whether they fit the system. Um, and I think point guard, the top end of point guard, is pretty solid in this draft as well. So look, I think that if you're looking for talent, you know, I think you can get it almost anywhere. Uh, but certainly, I think that the the center class feels a little shallow to me, uh, and power forward is probably about the same. Yeah, it, I've made this comparison before, but I really, it really does feel like the 2023 draft class to me. Um, we did a redraft of the 2023 class. That class turned out to be relatively deep. There were rotation slash starter quality players uh, all the way through pick 25, which is somewhat unusual for a basketball draft. Uh, and even in the JBL, I mean, if you go through some other drafts, it really, like 2022, it really kind of peters out after the top 14, 15 guys. And then you're really going after the dregs, which it matches what happens in a lot of NBA drafts. Sometimes you'll get an NBA draft that uh, has just really deep star quality players. <clears throat> and then you'll some that are kind of disasters. And then you have the, uh, the, the Jeremy Jackson draft. I think I got his name. Is, is that the first time I got his name right? It is, That's his it name, is, right? In history. Yeah, well done. Yes, that, that looks like it is the equivalent of the 2000 draft class. So uh, kind of scary there. Although I got to tell you, the 2026 draft class not looking so hot right now either, uh, other than the very, very top of that. So, so uh, yeah, I think that's a good uh, analysis of the class from a macro level. So let's get into it. Uh, so Bet uh, and I will alternate picks. Um, there are no trades. I repeat, no trades within this mock draft. We may speculate about some trades, but hopefully not too much so we don't go too far off the beaten path. Uh, I will be taking the odds, so I will have the honor of selecting the first overall pick for the Oklahoma City Barons. Andrew will have the evens. Is there anything else I need to add, Andrew? No, I reckon uh, we're pretty good to go. Just for the record, though, uh, some people, when they talk about this draft, have been renumbering the picks based on the forfeits being missing. So, for instance, Kansas City, will off uh, Comey will often refer to having the 10th and the 15th pick, <clears throat> for the purpose of this mock, they are what they originally were, which is the 11th and 16th. The reason being is that when we get to the two teams that have forfeited their first, we will probably spend a quick moment 
talking about what they might have done if they'd had that pick and how that will affect the flow of the draft from there. Yep, makes sense. So I have the Oklahoma City Barons at the first overall pick. Um, just to do a short re- recap of the Barons, uh, they had they came in with the tenth lottery, the tenth lottery slot. They had two percent chance of winning the lottery. They won the lottery last season. They took Jalen Gray, Jamie Gray, however you want to pronounce his first name, uh, with the fourteenth overall selection. I believe he's at Oklahoma State, State as a stretch four. Uh, I've advocated several times for Oklahoma City to basically blow it up. Um, what you ever want to do with Dutch, if you could trade him, if you can keep him, whatever. But I really do think they need to think about rebuilding this team around uh, Jump Gray. They ended up winning the lottery, and um, lo and behold, they take Ricky Gillespie with the first overall pick in the draft. What do you think about that, Andrew? Give me the real pick, Mike. <laughs> All right, so who do the uh, the Barons take? Obviously, Jeremy Sawville out of Arizona as their new starting center. Um, he pairs excellent with John Gray. Uh, I think that those two together will complement each other very well. Uh, Dan wants to run a grit and grind system, which is really important to stock up your front court when you're doing that. I do believe there have been some very limited trade discussions with the first overall pick, but my understanding is Dan wants a heart, a lung, and a kidney in order to train the first overall pick, which I don't blame him. I think he likes having the first overall pick. He likes making the selection, so I don't think it'll be dealt. Saville is the easy pick here. Yep, no, I think that's an absolute no-brainer. I think that if you're building a grit and grind system, uh, I think that arguably the center position is the most important. Uh, and Sawwell is a really good foundational piece to build around. Um, I think the fact that um, the fact that Sawwell will there will arguably make Jean Gray better because Gray is a bit more of a spacer and not as great a defender, so he will be balanced out nicely. So for Sawwell, that's a quite balanced front court. Um, and ultimately, you know, when you have a backcourt that is as defensively limited as Hale and Dutch is, then obviously having a big scary body at the back in the paint is really helpful for the structuring of a defense. And as we've established when we did our postseason reviews, uh, their defense is their most significant problem. So um, I don't think Sobol had the kind of impact that, um, that Clarkson had there very briefly uh, defensively, but um, I think that's a really big positive step in the right direction. Okay. Do you want to take the uh, second pick? I think we want to keep on a, th- a three-minute uh, ticker. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm conscious you kids are going to come and interrupt us at some point. I'm, uh, that's why I'm telling you to shut up about making G- uh, Ricky Gillespie jokes. Okay. Uh, so next up, uh, the drones. I think originally there was some discussion as to this might be a pick that was available for trade, and I'm not convinced that uh, – that DG knew exactly what he wanted to do here. Uh, but I think that that was put to bed entirely after the CJBL final. Uh, Brandon Dampier putting on a game for the ages uh, and then proceeding to win every little piece of silverware the CJBL has to offer. Uh, I think that, you know, power forward is a clear position of need for him. Uh, and I think that he will be going, uh, and he will be selecting Brandon Dampier from Missouri University. I think the biggest mistake some JBL general managers make, and it's the same thing NBA general managers make, is they try to get too cute and try to outsmart themselves. Don't outsmart yourself. This is a, the Sauville and Dampier, in my mind, are the two top players in this draft, um, bar none. 
don't mess around. Just take Dampier. I mean, you, you won the lottery by getting one of those top two picks. Uh, it's not like the drones have a power forward that they really need to compete with. All they really have on this roster at this point is Raphael Williams. They do have Randall Dozier, who, as I understand it, had their DG has at least one standing offer for a lottery value type of pick. I don't know why that trade has been consummated yet. If I could get a lottery pick for this season for Dozier, I'd probably take There's that. A, can I answer that question? It's because a lot of people have soft cock, soft cock energy and no one wants to make a trade until the board is clear. No one's willing to actually stump down and actually say, no, I'm going to do this. This is the pick I'm going to get. Everyone wants to have perfect information. Uh, and that means people are going to wait till they're on the clock uh, on the day which I think is a little bit silly in a draft where I think there's, it's a pretty much known quantity at the top end. Make a trade cowards. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think <laughs> Dempier is the, uh, the lockdown number two pick here, unless for whatever reason, Dan took Dampier number one and Saville slid to two. Then you take Saville too. You just, if you're the drones, you have the, e- you, you basically have the Kevin Durant spot. You can't well, screw think- up. I think there is a third pick in this draft that would be on the same tier, but it's not a position if, you know, unless the drones want to give up on R-Dub 2 and it's clear they don't, uh, there are only two options here and he will get one of the two options no matter what happens. Yeah, it's, it's the Durant slot from the 2007 NBA draft. Just take whoever is there between Sauville and Dampier and move on with your life. Um, so with the third overall pick, now it starts to get a little bit interesting. We have the Houston Lightning, uh, who... Uh, obviously, infamously blew uh, blew up the Weaver deal. They fortunately had their own first round pick this year, and even though they were slotted eighth in the lottery, the god of Rand smiled upon them and elevated up to the third overall pick. Um, unfortunately, they did not get the first or second overall pick, which is what I think they really wanted. They really wanted Sawville or Dampier. God of Rand did not like them so much and wanted to make Kyle pay at least a little bit for his Weaver transgression, so gave him the third overall pick. I do think uh, Kyle is somewhat legitimately torn here with what to do. I have heard um, Justin Noel. Uh, they do daily on Slay, but Slay is put on the block. I've heard Justin Noel. I've heard e- uh, I've heard uh, Trayvon Easley. Um, I've even heard some trade down discussion. I've heard some discussion on Bynum. In my mind, I think what they're going to do is probably take the player with the highest potential because they're just completely restarting their build. Based on my review and looking at it, it's that would be uh, Trayvon Easley, and I think that's who, where they will likely go. For this draft, I do think he probably has the highest potential. My only question with Easley is can he shoot, um, which is problematic when you have a point guard like Slay. We've seen that movie turn out bad uh, via vis-a-vis uh, uh, Donovan Mobley. Uh, but nevertheless, I don't think Slay should stop you from taking Easley if you think he's the best player on the board. So easily goes to the lightning. Yeah, look, I think that uh, I think you know, as you can see, the what I've written on the board, I think easily is a franchise shooting guard. I think there are some concerns around his three point shooting. Uh, I don't think his mid range and close is going to be hugely problematic. Uh, but there is some issue around his floor spacing as a three point shooter. Obviously, next to Slay, that's not ideal. But the team already has Allen. So if the team does say, you know, fuck it, we're going to take the highest ceiling guy, that's easily he's a franchise shooting guard, then all bets are off in terms of who they might keep after that fact. Like, I, I think that if they take easily, maybe Slay is gone at some point. But I just don't think there is any player on the board at this level uh, 
uh, that makes sense for them apart from easily. And I think easily by far has the highest ceiling left. You know, um, I think he is a, I think he is a candidate, uh, a prospect on the same level as Winder. Uh, he just has that one shooting question mark that will need to be developed over a little over the first couple of years. But I think he has a tremendous ceiling uh, at a position you know, offensive, dynamic, creating wing is a really hard position to fill. They don't come along often in the draft. Uh, this is a no-brainer. But as a caveat, uh, what do I have written next to him when I talk about him as a small forward? Because he is listed as a swingman. You have not a franchise SF. <laughs> yes. So I have him listed as a franchise shooting guard. And then under the small forward column, I have him listed as not a franchise small forward. He is 6'6", unless he suddenly magically grows two inches uh, before he hits training camp. Oh, sorry, through training camp. He, he, is not a vial, he is not a valid option to be a small forward. He is a shooting guard in this league. He is a prototypical shooting guard. And, and, I you, think do that's know we're all, and you do know we're all sitting around hoping to grow two inches. So... Look, if he did that, it'd be fucking fantastic and would actually change very much what the Lightning might need to do in terms of their other onboard assets. But um, I don't think that's something you'd be gambling on happening. So um, I think that's all I needed to say at three. So shall we move on to the Atlanta Devils at four, Mark? Go ahead. It's up. It's your turn. Oh, is it my turn? Oh, good point. Okay, well, um, this one is... Uh, based on the rankings that are available on the declared players, uh, if I bring up that tab at the moment, and I'll just close Kenyon Fuller down. Okay, so right now, a listed player is uh, basically average grade for uh, Jalen McDaniel is 14. However, uh, I am very much of the belief that he is pretty much 1A, 1B with Jeremy Sawwell in this draft in terms of the best centers. Um I think that Sawwell is a great center if you want to have a franchise center and be a team that is built around a center. But if you are looking for a center who is going to rim run and play defense and rebound and do easy putbacks close to the basket, but is a player you don't have to feed in any way or feature in any way in your offense, then I think McDaniel is arguably a, a better fit for a lot of teams than Sawwell would be. And in terms of an Atlanta Devil team that has a really strong young, well, I'm not sure how young Harmon is anymore, but really dynamic young backcourt in terms of uh, Valentine and Harmon has that energy guy in Covington at power forward already and is playing an up-tempo system. I think Jalen McDaniel is a perfect center for this build. So my pick is Jalen McDaniel. Yeah, I mean, very, very short, very quick tangent. But the reason that McDaniel is ranked so low is because of the CJBL tournament performance. And there is an element of these rankings where team performance and team performance in the tournament's kind of baked in. That's where you see. So J. Ron, so J. Ron choking is 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 the reason for this. Essentially, yes. I mean, he barely got over Villanova in overtime, a seven seed, and then I think they lost in the Sweet Sixteen. But look. This is why a player like um, the Missouri point guard, who uh, Derek Gibson, um, well, he's ranked in the lottery, um, but my senses and my perception around the league is that he will not be taking the lottery, not by a long shot. Um, <laughs> but, but, but nevertheless, I don't think 
from from because I because I wonder from Ogier's perspective is he's going to be worried about well this is the 14th ranked player can I take him at four is that a reach and for the reasons you just articulated it's not I mean he arguably is a better center than Sawville for a team who wants to run a high tempo system which is what Atlanta wants to do and run that pace in space uh, so I think McDaniel is extremely valuable. I think that he's, I think if he doesn't go four, and this is a good segue into Mexico City's pick, uh, then he should go five to Mexico City. Um, Mexico City Jaguars are picking fifth. Quick recap on them. They kind of are a little bit of the new Island of Misfit toys that actually worked out relatively well. Um, they have Josh Damasco, who they traded for. They have Odell Bracey. Um, they still have Mark Hunter sitting there, but I think the Mark Hunter experiment may be close to being at its end, considering center seems to be one of their team needs, and Mexico City was really hoping to land Sawville. So where do they land if the ball, board falls like this? Again, don't overthink it. I think that the last of probably the top franchise-level type of players that are available in this draft is sitting here at number five, and that's Justin Noel, the point guard out of NC State. I think the only question that you have about Noel as a two-way prospect is a little bit on the defensive end, but he's got good size. He's got a good wingspan. He's got everything you else, you else you would want in a potential franchise point guard. I probably put him on the same level that, um, that uh, Portland's point guard that they drafted last year, whose name slips my mind, um, on, on his level. So I think that it's pretty much a no-brainer. Mexico City would go Noel here if the board fell this way at the fifth overall pick. Yeah, no, I think that's a no-brainer. I would argue even if McDaniel was available, I think there might be a case to go Noel here anyway. Um, So I I would definitely say that Noel is the right fit. Um, And that brings us to the Phoenix Vultures. Uh, and this is the first kind of really tricky kind of pick in this draft because um, they arguably have a point guard already in terms of Jet Weathers. Uh, they have a shooting guard, obviously, in uh, Winder. Uh, they have a power forward in Adonis Gatling, who is actually underrated, considerably underrated and under the radar. Uh, and then they have arguably two centers. They have uh, one who can play defense and no offense and one who can play offense and no defense in Webster and Morning. I think in terms of this draft, the obvious spot for them to pick is small forward. The problem is that the best small, fo- the best small forward in this class is not a franchise small forward. Uh, and that is Derek Bynum. Um, to me, <clears throat> big pun. If you look at Bynum, Bynum is a guy who played who played power forward in college very effectively, uh, and obviously was a part of the Ch- Indiana championship team, uh, and was probably the best or second best player on that in that in that championship game on that side of the ball. Um, but as a small forward, I have some questions about him. To be honest, I I don't love him. As a as a small forward prospect, but I think he has a lot of potential as a, as a as a valuable floor spacing piece as a power forward. You know, he's probably got the highest ceiling of the guys left uh, in this draft. Uh, if he, if everything kind of pans out, I'm not talking about the fucking stupid star ratings. I'm talking about just like logistically a guy who can do a little bit of everything. I know some people don't like that, but as a base from which to develop that player on, you know, if you can get a few things 
trending in a positive direction, suddenly that player is, you know, what you want them to be. They don't have any, he doesn't have any gaping, gaping holes as far as I'm concerned. So look, I think that one of the things the Vultures did last year is they had Akile playing minutes across small forward and power forward, kind of sliding in that role uh, with Gatling as the starting power forward. And I, and I think Bynum probably is a better fit here uh, than the other small forward, which is Jack Dawkins, because Bynum is able to do both again. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if if Sick is unable to move this pick and he has obviously demonstrated some interest in doing so. I think the upside pick here is probably Derek Bynum, who he's able he who he will probably be able to utilize across both forward positions. Yeah, I do think that based on how the board fell, um, and keep in mind that really the vulture so focused is building the best team they can around Winder. And Winder, so Dawkins is not a good fit there because Winder, he's just going to be a high-usage player, and I think Dawkins is going to be a high-usage player as well. They need someone who is complementary to Winder. Um, I don't know, like you, I don't know what position Bynum plays. I do think he's more of a power forward than a small forward. But nevertheless, I think he's a complementary player. I think he's someone who likes to stretch the floor, who can play good perimeter and post defense, and you need those kind of players to build a competitive team um so i would i think he i think he is the, the pick here based on what's left on the board i do think maybe if noel slid uh i know that the vultures also have jet weathers but uh, i think that noel would be a cleaner fit um next to next to winder um but the, the vulture should look for a trade down here if there is someone, especially because I do think that the top five picks we just talked about, they seem pretty locked in. I mean, there could always be a trade that surprises us, but I don't see any of those teams in the top five necessarily trading at this point. I think that those picks are, I don't want to say locked in stone. There could always be a surprise, but I think those picks are pretty certain. This sixth spot is the first um, the first tipping point in, in this draft. Uh, but if the, if the Vultures stay at this pick, and they go with the best fit slash best player available. I do think it's pretty easily by them. Yeah, look, I think that uh, I think the only you know in the top five, I think the only wild card is potentially Kyle because Kyle is loose as hell, and who knows what the hell he's going to do. Kyle is the wild card. Uh, Kyle, <laughs> see, that's a compliment, Kyle. You say we never say nice things about you. You're a wild card. You're good for your street cred. No, look, I think that. Um, <clears throat> no, I think that. Um, do you ever watch It's Always Sunny? Do you ever yes. watch that TV show? Okay. You you know the reference, right? Yes. Yes. He's 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 the Charlie of the of the JBL. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I thought I'm the Charlie based on all the fucking memes that people put out. Note that I didn't end up with Weaver after all those memes. Um, okay, and that brings us to uh, number seven, which is your pick, and this is the Las Vegas Scorpions. Yes, the Las Vegas Scorpions. So we kind of went over what their needs are based on the trade they just made of, Je of Jeremy Johnson. I agree with you that they need a wing is probably their biggest priority. I don't think the kind of wing that they the, – the perfect wing for them is not necessarily here. Um, I mean, Trayvon easily would have been perfect for them. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, what would you say? Exactly. Like that, that's what I was talking about before when we were talking about like, you know, trading extra collateral and Jackson to move up to get that kind of easily type, that easily or winder type that, you know, they just don't come around that often. And that, that would have been a far better use of the collateral as far as I'm concerned. 
So, so I'm, I'm going to pick a player for them that I think probably is getting a little bit ignored. Probably people may not like as much because I don't think he worked out great. Um, but I do think he has a lot of potential. I think he's actually a decent fit with the Scorpions team based on the trade that they've made. Um, this is, I admit, a concede a little bit high for him. But uh, I think the pick does make some sense if you look at what their team needs are. Um, they have Matt Mueller point guard, which I don't think is necessarily set in stone. They really need kind of a, a playmaker here, someone who could shoot, someone who can score, uh, you know, outside of the paint. So I think Chris Knight, I actually think, is the pick here that I would take for the Scorpions at the seventh overall pick. Oh, you've changed. Yeah. Yeah, well, so I didn't know about the Jeremy Johnson pick. So for the record, we did a tra- we did a mock the other day uh, just before the trades opened up, uh, just so we had a record of what happened uh, in case there were truckloads of trades and then you all soft-cocked out and didn't do any trades. Uh, so this is actually the first kind of significant shift from that, which is uh, night. So um, in the first one we did, you, uh, we took Ashton Carr here. Why have we moved to night? I moved to Knight because I think Knight is a little bit more of a playmaker. He can play uh, a little bit. He can play. He can play point guard and create a little bit more than I think Carr can. I do think Carr, after Easley, is the best. Is the best wing after. And if you think Bynum is a wing too, after Bynum and Easley, I do think that he is the best wing. But I think for the reasons that you discussed, I do think that they need someone who's a little bit more of a creator. Um, he can potentially fill two spots uh, as shooting guard or point guard. Um, but I think I would keep Knight as shooting guard, kind of let the Odell Bracey experiment work out, but actually give him time to let him work out, I think, with the way that this roster is built. Well, I also think you keep him at shooting guard because you don't want him to be infected by the Las Vegas point guard curse. He might contempt zombieism. Oh, there you go. So you don't want to do that either. You don't want to bury him with the others. No. Okay, uh, so the next pick up is pick eight, uh, and we have the Charlotte Drones on the board once again for their second pick. Um, this is their own pick. Uh, the earlier pick was the Hurricanes pick, which they had acquired in trade from the Scorpions. Um, so when I wrote up the kind of the needs for this team, I, I, I listed them as small forward, power forward, and center. Uh, and uh, now they've got Dampier. Uh, if anything, they're stacked at power forward. Uh, I think center is something they can take care of in free agency. I know they've relinquished the option on Foreman, but I think Foreman is imminently gettable in free agency uh, for them again and probably cheaper and is definitely a serviceable center. I think the one position where they really haven't had anything particularly dynamic for quite some time, they've had Loyola most recently, uh, who is steady. You know, he's a an amazing backup point guard or a low-end starting point guard. Um, but they haven't had any, anyone really dynamic. Uh, and I think that if they want to go up tempo and be a little bit more exciting and dynamic, I think there is one point guard on the on the board who I think would be a really excellent fit here, uh, and that is Dan Hargrove from UNC. So the, he will be my pick at number eight. And I think that would actually be an excellent pick for the drones. Um, I know when the drones before the lottery, they were hoping to land one and two. They had a relatively decent chance to have one and two. They were going to take Noel and Sawville. I'm pretty sure that was going to be the plan if they got those two picks. That's what they wanted to get was their point guard and their center. Um, while Dampier is not a center, I think that he's a very nice front court fulcrum for them. Uh, that gives them versatility. And I think the same thing about Hargrove. 
Uh, I do think that, as I've told other people, I do not have a ton of separation between the top point guards in this class. Um, I, I think I, I think that's pretty close between them. And um, I think there's arguments that could be made for Hargrove over Noel. Um, but I do think Noel has a higher ceiling than Hargrove. But I do think that Hargrove ceiling, um, can he be an Austin McConnell? You know, kind of like that. He doesn't have the size that McConnell has, but can he be a similar type of player? And when you have uh, Raphael Williams that you want to keep continue building around, the best thing you could do is get a prototypical floor general point guard that will make Williams' life as easy as possible. So now they've set up a, a basically three players where they have Dampier, who only likes to go to the middle, who only likes to play in the post or play at the rim. They've got RW2, who likes to stretch the floor, and they've got Hargrove, who could table set for both of them. That's a really nice young group to start to build around. So it's going to take some time and let them gel, but there's a lot of other teams that don't have a nice three core that complement each other like those three if they can come away with them in this draft. Well, I think the other thing that's really worth noting about Hargrove is that he is, despite his size, he is an excellent defender, perimeter defender. So he's probably in the upper echelon immediately in terms of point guard defenders uh, the minute he walks in. And the other thing is he's, he is an exceptional three-point shooter. Um, he shot 570 from, uh, from three uh, on not a huge amount of usage at UNC, uh, but he shot 570. And... On a team where um, RW2 gets a lot of defensive attention, he's going to be open on the perimeter quite a lot. And on the alternative side of that is defenses can't sag off him in the same way they would have off Loyola. So I think that's a really kind of benefit on in two, from two different perspectives. That's a real benefit to RW2 moving forward. As of right now, just based on scouting, Hargrove is not just the best three-point shooter of the point guards. He's arguably the best three-point shooter in the class as it grades out. Now he doesn't have the volume like you pointed out, but at least from an efficiency basis and the stats seem to back it up from his time at, at North Carolina. Um, I think that he has that potential. He, he will be relatively low usage, but I think again, that's a good thing because you really want your usage to be toned to Dampier and RW2 anyway. So. Yeah. I think look, this is a team that realistically Dampier and, um, and RW2 should both have usage floating somewhere between 25 and 30. There's no need yep. to have one of them over 30, but both of them are going to be in that upper upper tier, and some guys are going to have to sacrifice. And, you know, if, if Hargrove sits down at 16, then that's completely fine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, even in my mind, if you had, let's say, 25, 25, 20, and then the other um, 30% split between the other two, that's pretty nice balance, you know, of course, with some variation in between, but I'm just as ballpark yeah, figures. Rough, I think that yeah. 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 Okay. And that brings us to the Oakland Tritons at number nine. And I think that that is me. Um, is. Oh, all right. So, so the Tritons, uh, they're still kind of going all in, in terms of building around Lamar Francis and now Isaiah Clarkson. They traded Kay Navagato. Uh, their needs are point guard and power forward. Um, I do think power forward is interesting, and this is probably going to uh, change our mock draft a little bit here. But, again, I do think that, once again, um, you can't really look at the ratings because they are based on how team performance is. There is one power forward that's starting to get a lot of chatter, a lot of talk, who's ranked outside of the lottery as of right now. 
but at least scouts on paper appears to be arguably the best power forward, your, your prototypical power forward prospect. Uh, because while Dampier, I think, is the best power forward, he's a little bit undersized. He's a, a, a smidge undersized. Um, but so, but the other skills and the other potential outweigh any of the concerns you have. That's why he's the best power forward. But the best prototypical power forward in this class is likely Sam Meeking. And I think uh, if you look at what the Tritons did last year, they took to Kembe Dallas. Uh, I think that was last draft, and they got burned by him. Uh, in the lottery, they moved him uh, to Nashville. With Navigato. Yeah, with Navigato. So they gave up on him quite quickly. So I don't think they're going to be interested in low ceiling type of players. And so that probably takes guys like Dawkins and um, uh, Brandon Sparks, who I, I think is a really good player and a really interesting prospect. But there are some ceiling concerns. I think that the Tritons are going to be scared a little bit away from them. So I think based on that, and if you're looking for a player who really does give you a chance to kind of step right in and support Clarkson and Francis, it's Sam Eking uh, out of, uh, where did he go? He got, was, was Duke or Kentucky? He was Kentucky. He's a Wildcat. Okay, he's a Wildcat. So yeah, so that's the pick. Yeah, look, I, I think that's a, a pick I can strongly agree with. It's funny, I was talking to someone else uh, today about the Tritons and about how they would use approach this draft because in case you were unaware, they have pick nine and they also have pick 14 coming up shortly. And the argument was uh, the Tritons going to utilize this draft as an opportunity to round out their current core. So obviously right now we have Clarkson at center we have and we have Hayes and Francis on the wings. Or would they potentially use this draft as an opportunity to kind of invest in future replacements for some of those guys who are about to age out? So, for instance, Clarkson is, is not getting any younger and, and neither is Francis. Um, if, you were, if you were drafting from the other perspective, so obviously making is the fill the gap kind of pick here, what would you do if you were drafting for a, from the perspective of um, replacing for the future? rather than just fill the hole replacing for the future i would probably take ashton carr i think that he of, of the players here i think he is i know he doesn't quite fit but i think he's the best player on the board um i do think that there's a window where uh he could play i know that they've they've they played jordan timberlake at small four which is kind of a disaster I think Ashton Carr can play some smaller, some small forward based on how he played at Kansas. Uh, additionally, and we've talked about this before, I think Lamar Francis is destined at this point to start transitioning to a bench role as a microwave scorer. Carr lets you do that. I do think that if I was looking, if I was not so committed to running Francis into the ground, I'd really look at taking Ashton Carr here and kind of taking that as a, as a bigger step to the future. Fair enough. That's just what I wanted to get a sense of. I'm not sure. Like, obviously, Duncan traditionally has has very much looked to the now and 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 being uh, can, uh, being a, can, a competitive team in the now. But if he was looking at it from the perspective of the future, I, I would have been curious. To pick. I think that Carr is definitely one of them. And Carr actually played uh, because Kansas had a weird recruiting class um, in terms of uh, shooting guards. They had two, didn't they? Who was the other one? Do you remember? It was Carr and someone else. They had another five-star. They got two five-star shooting guards. I do not I can't remember who the other one was. 
I'll, I'll look it up while you keep going on because you anyway you the other one the, the other one didn't come out but what's important to note is that Carr actually played 85 percent of his court time at small forward this year so uh if you're evaluating him based on his statistics it's probably worth noting that those were put up as a small forward not as a shooting guard i think the other player that would be worthy of some consideration although i think it would be a slight reach would be um spencer irving out of georgetown um, I think Spencer Irving has the potential to be a, a fairly well-balanced center offensively and defensively in this league. Um, he's not a franchise guy at that position. Uh, I don't think he's necessarily ever going to be an all-star, uh, but I think Spencer Irving would be a, is a really solid cent starting center in our league uh, long-term. Uh, and if you were looking to kind of replace Clarkson rather than um, Francis, I think he would be someone who would be worthy of some consideration here. It was uh, Jared Hodge was the other shooting guard for Kansas. So, and he's projected as an all-star player. I think he was ranked at a certain point, but he decided to go, go back to school for his junior year. So it is now the 10th pick, which is, belongs to Team Forfeit, but it would have belonged to the Baltimore Bullets. So, Andrew, do you want to discuss what you would have done uh, if you had kept the pick? Yeah, look, I think if I'd had this pick, there's probably two, there's probably a couple of spots on my team that I would be looking at. Um, one is I would be looking at, um, I'm going to need someone either at power forward or center to play the kind of bridge minutes uh, that result from me kind of staggering Mosley and Price and Woodson across the two positions. So there is a kind of a, just a natural hole in the rotations that I need to plug with something. So I'd be looking at someone like, you know, Irving would be a consideration here. Sparks would be a consideration, um, would be if I was still on the board in terms of the post. Uh, and then from the other perspective, uh, you know, I'd be looking at whether I can upgrade Story at shooting guard or, or fill that or kind of upgrade on Hawkins at small forward because that's the other kind of bridging 15 minutes a game that I kind of need. Um, Certainly Ashton Carr would be someone I would seriously consider. And to be honest, from an offensive perspective, I'd almost, I'd probably give Jack Dawkins a little bit of consideration as well. Um, I think a lot of people look down their nose at Dawkins thinking he's kind of one way guy. Uh, and I just don't think the stats really and the scouting necessarily back that up. I think that he was pretty much first or second in the CJBL in steals last year. He grades out to be a, a, a at the very least an average level defender, if not slightly above average. Uh, and he's a guy who can definitely put the ball in the basket. So I'd probably go for, you know, those would be kind of the guys that I'd be looking at. So if I was still on the board, I think what you'd see is that I'd probably end up taking a wing and probably slightly accelerate the process of people on the board remaining going after the shooting guards because there'd be one less on the board moving forward that's where i'd start to feel some pressure if i took a shooting guard yeah i think that all kind of makes sense um do you want me to do the 11th pick uh you know i guess keeping with our odds and evens yeah so. absolutely got to keep in sequence all right so the Kansas City Knights, they traded for Alonzo Weaver. I think this pick was rumored to potentially be put into a deal for a bigger prospect, but for whatever, whatever reason, because you're all scared, uh, no trades cowards. were basically <laughs> cowards. Uh, no trade was ever consummated, so the Knights are still here at this pick. What do they need? They have Alonzo Weaver. Um, they really need probably a power forward to complement him. 
Sam Meeking would have been the best player on the board, probably the best fit yep. for them. But yep. he is on in this scenario. So what do they do? They're going to be tempted by Jack Dawkins. They may eventually take Jack, Jack Dawkins, but he's not the best fit really for this team. Uh, you know, in terms of if they're really trying to build around Weaver. Based on the power forwards to our left, I think that actually the best fit for them is likely Isaiah Casper uh, out of Georgetown, uh, who is uh, he's a power forward center. And even though Andrews rules that power forward centers play centers, I should play at the five. I do think this guy is an exception to the rule. Uh, I think he's a player who likes to play more on the perimeter. I think 44% of his shots were from beyond the arc this past year as he played power forward at Georgetown. Uh, I think he's a really good defender. I think he's a good energy player. I think he'd be able to pit, play off ball to Weaver very well. And if they take him, uh, presuming they keep Dillinger and RJJ and Fontana, they've got a really nice starting five that I think complements Weaver quite well. Yeah, look, um, and what, what have I written next to him in, in the center column, Mike? <laughs> uh, undersized. Yeah, he ain't a center. He's a power forward. And I, look, I think what he is is what you would have gotten out of making. He is a, you know, a, a strong complementary player who's going to step in immediately and not do dumb shit. He isn't a particularly. He wasn't a particularly good shooter in college, although he did shoot well, reasonably well for a four from three. This is an energy guy, and unlike a lot of other players in this draft, where they're going to need time to get ready, if you've got Weaver, you probably want to be competent relatively quickly. And I think Casper is someone who can come in on day one in a role that is not particularly complicated. It is put the ball back when you rebound it and rebound it and defend people. And I think he's capable of doing that quite competently from day one. Uh, and he'll look better than he would on any other team because he'd be next to Weaver. I think that's a much more safe strategic pick than taking someone like Sparks who cannot shoot for shit uh, and is a little bit more of a complex kind of guy to figure out an ideal home for. I think the one other player that you might want to consider here would be backup shooting guard is a need for them. Uh, and Ashton Carr would probably be a good um, selection there as well. And, and there is some thought kind of similar to what we talked about um, with, uh, with Ashton Carr before is that he could play the small forward position as well. So if you wanted to, we, Weaver could theoretically play power forward. It's not the best position for him. But you could have some lineups where at least you're playing Weaver and Carr and RJJ and Fontana with um, Dillinger at the five and give that a look and see how it looks. So, uh, And Carr could be ready-made to step in and contribute right away for the reasons you suggested as well. That if you have a player like Weaver, you kind of need to win now. So, I think you have an obligation to be relatively competent straight away. And that's why I think both of us kind of lent towards Meeking or Casper who are, yes, they're going to be developing players, but are players who are going to be in a limited kind of role uh, and with Weaver to help them along are probably capable of performing that role very well from minute one. Yep. Yep, yep. Okay. So do you want to pick for the uh, Vipers at pick 12? Yes. You may wish to speak up a little bit because you got awful quiet suddenly. Uh, so <laughs> the Pittsburgh Vipers are on the clock. Uh, and the Pittsburgh Vipers arguably have two needs, um, but I don't actually think power forward is particularly pressing. I think Bo Anderson has done a lot of things very well to date, uh, although he hasn't been the offensive player that you would have perhaps enjoyed so far. Uh, but what Mike needs to do 
you stop being too fucking cute at point guard. Uh, and an example of how too fucking cute he has been is the fact that on the last podcast, I said there had been four players at point guard who had started a game this season for the Vipers, and he couldn't name all four. So um, <clears throat> what we need to do is introduce some stability at the power, at the point guard spot, and Mike is very lucky that this is a draft that already had two high-end point guards because the draft has a, a third really strong point guard uh, that is going to be sitting there waiting for him. Uh, and that is Corbin Vance out of UConn. So at least, if nothing else, you're going to make Comey happy once this season. <laughs> How mad are you going to be if I don't take a point guard at this pick? <laughs> Let's not discuss that because I, I might need, I might, you know, it, it's funny, right? Let's put it this way. If on, if on a Saturday or Friday your time, when we do the draft, there is suddenly like no commentary from Andrew at all, for the like 10 minutes after you make that pick, that meant that I have excused myself to have a smoke and decompress and swallow and eat my feelings before I come back and be a civil human being. How about that? Uh, are you going to have a nice warm pie or cake or something like that ready to go <laughs> to eat your feelings? Oh, I think I might just go outside and shotgun a fucking beer to try and mellow out, to be honest. No, I, I mean, I, I think uh, Vance has been selected for the Vipers in a lot of mocks, and I can't say it's wrong. You know, I mean, we'll, we'll see if the board falls this way. I mean, sometimes when there's so, when a player pegged so much to a certain team, someone gets wise and tries to trade up to get them. But, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I, feel like, uh, I feel like we're in pretty good position. I think there's uh, a few point guards I, I like in this draft, so Vance is certainly near the top of that list. So... I think we're in good position either way. Uh, we'll probably explore trade down, I'm sure, just to see if someone really wants to come up. It, if, if the board falls like this and Carr is there and someone, you know, gives me a, you know, a big sack of assets to move up to 11, I think I'd be hard-pressed to say no to that because I'm pretty asset poor right now. So, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll be open for business, but if there's no trades and I think you could pretty much presume it'll be the, point, the best point guard left on the clock that is not named. Uh, Derek Gibson. <laughs> uh, look, I think I just just briefly on that. I think you got. I think you were blessed in terms of Cheney's injury, uh, inflating the value of this Jailbirds pick. It is not your own, uh, and I think that I will be a little bit spicier if you trade this down and do not take Corbin Vance uh, when if he is available on the clock at this point in time. Your chances of winning a championship dramatically decline. Ooh. With this build, dramatically decline. Look at that. Now I feel the pressure. It would be the definition of too cute. <laughs> be the absolute fucking definition of too cute. Absolutely 100% the definition of too cute. Fair enough. Fair enough. That, okay. is, that strong, is that strong enough? We, we, we're here to provide content and get spicy. So I, I, I feel I usually carry the weight, but I, I felt that I needed to get that one in. That's, that's strong enough. Just, just get your cake and your pie ready. That's all, that's yeah. all I can ask. Oh, <laughs> okay, continue. Number 13, the Minneapolis Blizzards, uh, and Mike is on the clock. Yeah, and um, I think if the board falls like this, it's relatively easy. Uh, I, think you, I think we talked about this uh, as far back as our mock lottery pod. Um, the way the, the Blizzards really need more offense. They have the they finished with the best defensive efficiency rating in the league. Um, I think that uh, even despite trading Slay, uh, they're still pretty set in the point guard position with Marshawn Ash. 
Um, you know, they've got Donovan Mobley, who I think is still developing, but they really need someone who could come in and kind of help take some of the load off Mobley and also be a creator. I think Jack Dawkins is the pick here. Um, I, I think he he fits perfectly and slides right in. I mean, the, the Blizzards really need to start winning now because Gallo is 27. I mean, he's got, of course, he, he's at peak right now. Uh, you've probably got at least three or four more years with him at peak. So you really need Mobley to get where he is. I think Sangali is pretty well developed. They need someone who could step right in and provide offensive punch. And I think it's quite easily Dawkins here at this spot. Yeah, I feel like that's a no-brainer pick. You know, what we've criticized the Blizzards about on previous podcasts, like the season review, was that, you know, Mobley just became a fucking monster usage idiot uh, this year, and it really affected the overall efficiency of the team. So for my tastes, that's something that they probably need to address, and having that extra genuine offensive option there I think will be really good for them. And as I've said, I don't think you're going to lose a dramatic amount defensively having Dawkins in the place of Enriquez at certain times, but I think you gain a lot in terms of dynamic offense. And I think that will really benefit them. And that'll actually allow them to put pretty much what three, if you include Galloway's an above average power forward in terms of shooting. So like you've got three genuine three point shooters and Galloway on the floor that, that, around Songela. And that I think is really quite a positive. Um, and the other thing is whilst he's only Galloway's only 28 because we've just had cake day. Um, he is a midget as far as point guards go. He is only six, nine. He only has a six, nine wingspan. He's reasonably athletic. Um, he's a guy that once he starts to physically slow down and lose that athleticism, I think he's someone who could actually have a, a pretty hard decline pretty quickly. Um, so I wouldn't be looking at it going, well, some power forwards play till they're 34, like Ivory. He ain't going to be Ivory. He'll go down faster. It would be my take. So I think, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think that you've got probably three to four years to really kind of put it together and Dawkins really gives you the best chance to do that based on your current build. Okay. So that brings me back to the Oakland Tritons. Uh, and we talked at the last position about, um, you know, whether they are going to be building for the now or the, whether they're going to be building for the future. Um, the other position we had them listed as a need now was point guard. Um, some have said that their point guard towards the back end of last season actually played reasonably well. I forget his name. Is it Pittman or something like that? For yeah, some Grace, Grayson Pittman. Grayson Pittman. Look, Pittman, just to bring him up very briefly, uh, he was drafted 18th last dra- uh, draft last season. Was it last season? Yeah, last season. He you know, had a pretty decent season for a rookie point guard. His VORP was negative 0.01, which is actually pretty solid for, for a rookie point guard. 12.9 PER. He shot, you know, almost 360 from three. You know, he wasn't terrible. Okay. Like he wasn't anything amazing. He only played 22 minutes a game, but like he, he showed, he showed something. Um, given the way the board has unfolded, I think if you were going to go point guard, the obvious choice is Jackson Goss. Uh, who I think is going to be an above-average defensive point guard. He's tall. He's he's competent pretty much across the board. He doesn't have a, a gaping kind of hole in his game. But I don't think he necessarily has a huge ceiling either. Um, so on this one, I'd probably uh, swing it around a little bit. And I would actually suggest the team take shooting guard here. 
which would allow you to put Francis into the bench role that you are currently uh, promoting as a concept. Um, I would take Ashton Carr here. I think he has slid uh, long enough now to be exceptional value at this spot. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I look, I mean, I think if you and I were running the team, I think that, well, I think even Reg, I think even from Reggie's perspective, Ashton Carr makes sense. I mean, if he wants to be good this year, he needs players who could come in and contribute right away. And I think Carr will be a little bit more developed than other freshmen, but he also doesn't have the, the lower ceiling that a lot of sophomores and upperclassmen have in the draft. Um, and I think we've talked about, this would be a very unique steal for Oakland here. I think that Carr is the second best wing in the class, pure wing behind Easley. Uh, and they're getting him at pick 14. And that kind of speaks to the depth of the draft class. And it's a little bit of an unusual wing class, but we haven't even scratched the surface. But arguably the second best wing fell all the way to 14 uh, at Oakland here. And I think that that would be the pick here, even over Jackson Goss. I, I, I kind of, I'm a big, I, I'm a bigger supporter and believer in Pittman than you are. Um, but, and I don't think that Goss, like if Vance, for whatever reason, were here, or one of the other point guards, like Hargrove or something, <laughs> That that that's the pick, but I don't think Goss has the as uh, up has any more upside than Pittman does. And I think what the Tritons need to do is with this pick, get a player who could fit a need, but also has some upside as well. And Carr hits both those marks pretty pretty hands down. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so that takes us to pick fifteen, and we're actually making decent time. Um, this is the second pick in this draft for the Oklahoma City Barons. Uh, they got this one from the Skyhawks. So they've taken center in this draft class. So they've got, let's say, let's look at their, what their starting lineup will be uh, coming forward. All right, this is your pick. Sorry, I apologize. I was going to run. I can no, 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 my... no. Uh, yeah, so I'll, I mean, I'll go through it. I, I mean, in, so right now they do have Devontae Hale as the point guard. They still have Dutch as the shooting guard. They do have a pretty gaping hole in the small forward position from what I could see right now. Power forward, they would have uh, Gray, and center, they would have Sawville. So the problem is, for the, as you pointed out, there, it's, it's not a great small forward class. And I do think the best players that I still have on the board at this point, who are Denzel Sparks and uh, Spencer Irving, do not really fit. That I would not pick those players here because they're not going to get the playing time. You really want to invest your playing time in Sawville and Gray. And the Barons still also do have Ray Washington, uh, who is a pretty youngish center who's a little competent when he's played on the floor. And they also do have another power forward, Xavier Maxwell, who was arguably their best front front court player last year, still under contract. So they're they're pretty well set at front court at this point. So looking more towards backcourt, you talked about Jackson Goss. I I still have some ceiling concerns here, which is probably wouldn't go here. I think really the uh, the Barons could go best player available. I don't think they're in love with Dutch. I think that there's still some really nice shooting guards here. Um, I think that I would take the best the, the, the behind in my mind behind Sparks and Irving, who's left on the board. Best player here is likely Lorenzen Dyer, um, who is slightly undersized, but as a three and D wing, uh, he has some defensive potential. He has some shooting potential. His ceiling looks honestly off the charts. I mean, there's an argument that he could have one of the higher ceilings in this draft class, but the height really holds him back. So I do think I do think that Dyer is likely the uh, who I would pick here for the Barons if the board felt like this. Okay, so um, if you're in my mind, if you're the Barons here, 
Um, the kind of guy, in terms of straight need, uh, I think the obvious guys to be looking at are probably like Cameron Dupree or Tyler Duff uh, at small forward. Uh, both of them are, uh, are three and D guys who would probably balance out the lineup quite well uh, in terms of you've got a backcourt that's defensively weak, but quite offensively strong with, uh, with Dutch's obviously penchant for shooting. You've got Gray as a floor spacing power five as a, as power forward. You've got Sawald down in the post, you know, a guy who can literally defend people and hit threes would be really quite valuable. And I think Dupree and Duff are the kind of two guys you'd be looking at in that role at this point, but that would represent somewhat of a reach. Um, if I was Oklahoma on the board here and Dyer was still available, I agree Dyer is by far the best player remaining on the board. I think he's better than Sparks and Irving. But I would definitely uh, see if anyone wanted to move up. I'd be looking to trade down here and get one of the wings and maybe a future asset rather than uh, rather than take Dyer personally. Or if the Barons really want to try to like move up, you know, let's say like Bynum starts to slip if he doesn't go to the Vultures or something like that. Uh, Barons have the 15th pick and they do have the 24th pick. So they would be a team that could be ripe to try to trade up uh, to a team if they so want to do that and kind of consolidate and get someone who really fits that small forward hole. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, te- I tend to think the kind of small forward they want, though, is the kind of guy that uh, is a little further down the board. I think it's one of those 3 and D guys. So I'd, I'd be more inclined to see if you could trade down a little bit and pick up a future asset in the future. Um, yeah. But never mind. Uh, this now brings us to Comey's uh, pick at number 16. So um, we've already given Comey uh, Isaiah's Casper in this draft. Um in terms of filling that power forward spot. Um, another spot that we had identified earlier when we were talking about the Knights was that backup shooting guard spot is not quite resolved. Um, and one of the other spots that I think that isn't really on the board for the Knights per se um, on, on my needs is um, I, I, I'm starting to get the impression that, you know, if someone, I'm not convinced that, uh, Comey's is attached to um, Dillinger, as I perhaps thought long term, depending on how things play out. Um, he's trying to given, Dillinger. He's trying to Dillinger that guy out of there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, no, look. I think that. Uh, I think that you know, in terms of the best available player left on the board, I actually think I'd be hard pressed as an ins- if nothing else other than an insurance policy. I'd be. I'd be. I'd be hard pressed to go past Spencer Irving at this point. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I, I do think that Irving, right now when you get to this point, and this is, again, not being cute, um, I do think that when you're picking near the top of the draft, you're better off kind of picking, you're better off looking at both fit and and top overall talent, kind of when you're in that lower lottery. If you're at the top of the lottery, you should be looking at the best overall player because you probably are not that good. So you need the best player with the best overall potential. Then when you're kind of in like the later lottery, you're looking more for potential slash fit. When you're at this point, it really becomes a little bit more of a crapshoot. I think you are better off kind of believing your board and taking who you think is the best player available. And Spencer Irving, I think for the reasons you said, does kind of fit, especially because I do think Comey at the very least has some concerns that Dillinger will get paid when he comes available on the market. So getting Spencer Irving really kind of resolves that concern because he can step right in and basically probably provide a lot of what Dillinger provides you. 
Yeah, like and and offensively, he is just he is a hype. He's been he was a hyper efficient player in college last year. I mean, the last two years in college, uh, Irving has put up effective field goals of six seventy six and six six six. Devil's number, um, but uh, yeah, like he's he's money in he's money from the inside the arc, and basically he takes sixty five percent of his shots at the rim. You know, he is he will do the job. Um, so I think he would be a, a good safety net and also probably an upgrade on whoever they currently have playing backup. I'm not sure if it's fucking Jordan or Wood or whatever, 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 whatever one of his beloved, or Nelson, whichever one of his beloved power forward slash centers is currently playing center as backup behind Dillinger. Yeah. So that brings us to the Denver Dragons at number 17, Mike. All right, so the Denver Dragons at 17. They've got a pretty nice starting lineup uh, ju- just walking in. Uh, with Ad- They have Adams. Um, I forget their shooting guard, but they have a pretty nice 3 and D shooting guard. Um, they have their small four they drafted last year who, uh, who, who Calvin shit on but looks pretty decent. Um, they, of course, have their – who appears to be their franchise player power forward, and they have Stone at center. So they can really go just about anywhere on the board. You have their team needs as shooting guard and small forward. I tend to agree with that. I think I would take someone that I wouldn't worry about ceiling as much necessarily with this player because you're looking at someone who could be a bench role. So you're looking at a guy who's a little bit seasoned already and may not necessarily need the minutes that like a a rookie player would need uh, to struggle. You want someone who could step right in and provide a supporting role. I do think Cameron Dupree, probably the best fit here. Uh, He can obviously play both positions. Uh, I think he played really well at Cincinnati. I think he's your prototypical 3 and D wing, and I think that that's what would complement this Denver build quite well. Um, look, I, I can't, I can't disagree with this pick. Like they don't have a, they don't have that third wing that you need in your rotation at a minimum. Uh, they currently have obviously Wooten, who they drafted last year, who had a really strong rookie season. And they have Kendrick Shaw, who's shown quite good signs as a, a defensive guy, but they probably do need more scoring at the wing. Um, ideally, uh, but based on the wings that are available, you know, obviously Dupree and Duff as more three and D guys are probably attractive just out of curiosity. Obviously, he is a much rawer ceiling kind of prospect, but probably has a higher offensive ceiling. Would it be insane to start talking about Deshaun Irwin at this point? I mean... Given that, given, given that you'd be drafting him to be your third wing, so the, the risk mitigation is definitely in place. Not insane, but I do think there are some work ethic and personality issues that may cause him to slide a little bit. I don't think he'll slide out of the first round, but if you had asked me to rank Dupree and Duff and Irwin, and you do have them all in the same tier, I would probably put Dupree and Duff ahead of Irwin, but that's just me. Yep. No, look, I think that's fair. I think that it's... I I wouldn't jump out of my seat if if Aon drafted, um, you know, him here, though. No, absolutely. I think there's, he's one of those guys that would make a lot of sense uh, if you wanted to take a swing at it. Um, but given the way that Denver is currently building uh, and has, you know, obviously hit the playoffs or uh, hit the sixth seed, you know, a year earlier than you thought they were going to be there, I was a little bit more of the money on that one. But like, given they're looking to build forward positively, um, I think that you'd probably be slightly more conservative and i think there's a case that duff has more long-term potential than dupree as well uh, but i think dupree is definitely the safer day one player 
Yeah, I, I like Dupree slightly, also slightly better for this Denver team because I think he can play shooting guard as well. So I think he basically two birds, one stone because he can step in and play either position yeah. quite well. So Fair enough. That makes sense. Okay, that brings us to uh, the New Orleans Hurricanes. Uh, so uh, that pick's moved around a couple of times. Um, but this, I believe, is the Colonel's pick. So look... I, I still don't have a, a perfect conception of exactly what it is the Hurricanes are building in terms of what their plan is. Um, I think they could definitely afford to upgrade point guard. Uh, so in that case, Jackson Goss would probably be the best available point guard on the board. Uh, but I don't think he's a guy who has star potential per se. Uh, the second one is obviously... Uh, Given Bentley is is kind of coming up for another contract again soon, and he's a shooting guard, I think that there is an argument that you know taking someone capable of playing shooting guard as a backup, or maybe even also a backup at the th- someone who could play the backup three as well uh, behind um, Lawson would also be beneficial. Um, I think Sparks is a guy who's definitely slipping at this point and has a lot of potential, but if you're already playing Asprey at center. I just don't think you can have Sparks has the offensive game of a center independent of the passing in terms of what he is capable of doing in his, with his inability to shoot. I think there's a case that he is effectively offensively a center. He's going to have to camp out at the basket. Um, and I think that would create the same spacing problem they had last year before they moved Woodson onto me. So for that reason, I'm, I'm kind of probably going to target the, the wings and you've already knocked Dupree out. Given this team, would you agree that no matter who they take at this spot, they're going to be bad next year? Oh, yeah. I, I, okay. Yeah. And next year, they have their own pick. Yep. So this is effectively, to me, a free swing. Yep. I'm going to take Erwin. Erwin. I think I think Deshaun Erwin has the, the biggest ceiling and potential of any player left in the class uh, at this point. Um, the team has is going to be easily able to get him minutes across backup shooting guard and backup small forward. Um, You know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't really cost them anything. Um, And they're still going to have that, that high end pick next year. So that, that'd be the pick for me, Deshaun Irwin. I don't hate it. I don't really hate it for all the reasons you said. I do think um, like a player like Jackson Goss is a player you take if it's like, the last piece and he kind of fits the team around it, you know, whereas <laughs> this Hurricanes team, that, that, that's not there, you know. Um, so I kind of agree with you. And, and look, it, it, just my own personal philosophy, and I also think that the way um, you look around the JBL and where the talent is structured, uh, and maybe this class will help fill it, but the, the, the overall the JBL player pool is pretty well saturated in bigs, and there's also a lot of good point guards to go around. Not as many point guards as there were, let's say, a season or two ago, but there's still a lot of options. Wings are still relatively hard to come by, especially wings who could both do 3 and D. And this draft is loaded with them. So if you need that, you're, you're going to do a lot better doing that than trying to fill that need in free agency. And I think wings who, wings who can play defense will always have value in my mind. Um, they'll always net you a first-round pick in return. There's very few exceptions in my mind where that doesn't occur. So I think in my mind, I, I kind of agree with you. I think Irwin is the pick here. 
Okay, that brings us to number 19, the Atlanta Devils. This is by way of the Predators and the Lightning. Uh, we previously established that their needs at the moment were centre, which they've already filled with Jalen McDaniel, and small forward because Juan Brooks just didn't get it done as the starting small forward last year. So with that in mind, what would you be doing at 19, Mike? Um, so this probably could be the easiest pick in my mind, the mock draft, maybe even easier in the first overall pick. It's Tyler Duff. You know, if, oh, the board, if the board falls like this, you need a small forward. I think he's clearly above the other small forwards left in this class. If Irwin were here, I would take Irwin. If um, Dupree was here, I would take Dupree. I would take whichever one of those small forwards falls to you at 20. And again, again, it's not being cute. I think any one of those players fits with your current build. They can play defense. They can shoot three well. You know, you just, just take it and move on, in my mind. Um, I must admit, if I was them... I'm not convinced I'd take um, I'm not convinced I'd take Irwin. If Irwin was the one available and Duff was already gone, I might give some consideration to the lower potential pick and I might consider Luke Cameron out of Cincinnati. Okay. I mean that that's fair. I mean but uh, I, I because, but because Duff's there. He is yeah. more that yeah. Duff is a better version of Luke Cameron, right? Luke Cameron has the lower ceiling. He's a four-year player. He's a senior out of. Uh, he played alongside um, Dupree at Cincinnati on the wing. Uh, he is, you know, an Andrew-tested three and D guy with the fancy win shares and the nice advanced stats uh, with the high three-point rate. Um, he would be. He would fill the role the Devils need better than Irwin would, despite having a considerably lower ceiling. Is, is guess where I is, I guess where I'm going with that. Yep. But you're going with uh, I'm going with Duff. Duff's gone. No wait. Oh so we just took Duff. Sorry, I'm an idiot. Yeah, no, my bad. So it's, it's, you're up at you're up at twenty with the fireballs. Cool. Okay. Uh so uh I didn't change the needs. What do the fireballs need, Mike? <laughs> need- okay, so the, the look, the fireballs for, uh, backcourt is rel- is loaded. I mean, they have LaCruz, they have Bloom. Uh, they also have um, a shooting guard they just drafted last year who's kind of coming around, whose name slips my mind, the guy from UConn who slipped. Um, do you remember what his name is offhand? Who? The guy from UConn that the fireballs. Uh, Jalen Samuels or some shit like that? Yeah, yeah, Samuels. Samuels. Evan Samuels. Um, so, so they're pretty set there. I think front court, even after trading uh, Fuller, they have Johnson in that they're going to need to give minutes to. I mean, look, um, D- Dallas Kevin Gailey is a restricted free agent. Derek Griffin isn't getting any younger. This draft is loaded in three and D wings. I think kind of similar to Atlanta, kind of a no-brainer. Um, you know, they, they need a three and D wing to kind of take some of the minutes off Griffin uh, and maybe even be a potential replacement for him down the road. Based on the board, I mean, it's it's Luke Cameron to me here. I think the benefit of Cameron is that genuinely Cameron can play both the two and the three. Um, I'd probably want him playing on a competitive ceiling team rather than Samuels yeah. as well. Yep. Uh, that, I'd be more comfortable with that, let's put it that way. Yep. So... Now that I helped you with your pick, <laughs> do you want to pick no, no, you, the predators is all you. I would hate to. I appreciate your support. It is it is greatly appreciated. But now I would appreciate you uh, taking a pick for the Dallas Predators at pick twenty one. 
So I'll be curious to what you think about this. So the predators are. That's put always a bad. That's always a bad fucking moment with you, Mike. It means you're probably gonna tell me I'm an idiot. So all right, so be prepared to tell me I'm an idiot. So the the predators have put uh, DeAndre Stackhouse on the board, and I think we've talked about how offensive first and center. By board, he means trading block, folks. Exactly. Uh, have, how offensive setters probably are not the key point to building a championship team around. You have Denzel Sparks sitting here, and this is kind of a, a, a Mori Ball team wants to play Mori Ball. Now, Sparks can't spread the floor, but we've talked about Sparks, even though he's listed as a power forward, as more of a center. Doesn't his playmaking and, and post-defense, he's a much better on paper post-defender than Stackhouse. Plus, I think just you look at best players available sparks is definitely up there i'm going to take sparks here uh what do you think of that fit with the predators look i think that um this is a conversation you and i have had a couple of times i'm not sure if it was you who raised it first or me but i think sparks is a center in the jbl um and he has the defensive capability to do it he would be an athletic upgrade on 90 percent of the centers in the league in terms of you so if you are going to be a little bit more up tempo than the average You'd benefit there. He can pass. Um, the team, the Dallas, the reason why Dallas was such a strong offensive team last year was the fact that they basically had Stackhouse and a shit ton of shooters. Um, now, someone like Sparks probably wouldn't create the same defensive gravity in terms of being in the post as Stackhouse. He probably wouldn't be as ominous a threat. You're not going to like be you know facing him up and doubling him for the inbounds. But at the same time, his passing ability is so advanced for that position that in terms of finding out that, you know, finding the four, three or four guys who are floating around the perimeter who can all hit, you know, 380 from three, um, I could definitely see Sparks doing that. So um, no, I'm not going to tell you you're stupid. I'm going to say that that is uh, for me, probably the right pick to make at this point of the draft board. History made this morning on the JBL podcast as RKG threw something out there, and Andrew immediately didn't call it stupid. <laughs> that's that's harsh because there are plenty of times where I don't immediately say your shit is stupid. Like most of the time, I don't. I think. Um, just out of curiosity, uh, I just want to check one thing real, real fast. Um, Rasheem Fisher is also on the board. Um, it's on. Sorry, the board. Now I'm fucking copying you on the trade block as well. Um, the other player that they could potentially consider, I think, uh, would be Joey Bullock um, as well. Um, Actually, yeah, that'd be an interesting fit too. I, my, my issue with Bullock is the shooting, which I, so that's why I don't think he'd necessarily fit here. But You don't think Bullock's a good shooter? Um, I think that he doesn't scout to be a good shooter, uh, and I don't think he shot from a pretty he, – he was a volume shooter, but I don't think he shot – relatively well from beyond the arc but that might just be because he's young and inexperienced Give me so a second. I wouldn't, i'm gonna bring him up quickly oh, i wouldn't shit, I open the page Go on. Continue, I, I wouldn't i wouldn't hate it i wouldn't hate it i mean that would be it seems like that dallas has basically cornered the market on wanting three-point shooters i do think if they were going point guard here they'd probably lead more to jackson goss who's kind of uh, I don't think he shot under 45% from beyond the arc in any of his three seasons with Purdue. So, uh, yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. So Bullock last season um, shot 8.83s per game and hit three for 343. Uh, his three-point rate was over 600. Uh, he had uh, 
0.355 wind shares per 48, a 9.7 BPM. Like he has monstrous advanced stats. Um, if you're going to want someone to play, and he also, um, because he is listed as a shooting guard, it's worth noting he played 100% of his time at Gonzaga as a point guard. Um, at 6'4 with a 6'10 wingspan, he's actually quite, he'd be quite large playing at point guard. Um, he scouts to have sufficient playmaking, ball handling, and passing to do it. Um, and, you know, decent perimeter D. Um, I, I would make the case that if you weren't willing to completely commit to Sparks, that Bullock might even be a safer pick at this level. Yeah, I think either way. But uh, I think Goss would also get a look here too if it fell like this. So no, I'd, I'd go Bullock over Goss, I'm afraid. I think there's a, there's a higher ceiling there, especially given the Maury Ball nature specifically of that team and what they value. Yep. All right. <laughs> You want to move on to the Devils, who are picked yes. twenty-two. Okay, this is uh, an objective, uh, objective lesson in why you do not collect first-round picks in the same draft, uh, because as we talked about with the Devils, they had two no-brainer needs as far as we were concerned. Is that a, is that a fair assessment? We had we thought there were two clear needs, which were center and small forward. Sure. Uh, and they have had a fantastic draft to date. They've got McDaniel and Duff. Uh, even even Calvin with his demented draft grades would be probably forced to give this team a solid A for it. Uh, they have done. They have just gotten great value so far in this in this particular mock. Um, the one other position that the team probably needs to resolve long for uh, long term is um, in the backcourt. Valentine obviously starts at point guard, but then he slides down to shooting guard when Harmon is off the court, which allows there to be space for a, a, a traditional point guard to come on the court from time to time. Um, to date, that has been Jalen Langford, uh, who hasn't been done terrible, but he ain't anything fucking special. Um, given that Valentine's actually quite small, he's only 6'4", um, if I'm going to be playing him at shooting guard, I'd probably want a little bit more height. Uh, at the point guard position. Uh, so I think uh, maybe it's time to upgrade Langford and I would be taking uh, Jackson Goss here. Yeah, I mean, I've mentioned Goss several times. I think he'd be, if, if the board, if the Devils don't consolidate their picks, that's the only conceivable need. They do not need another front court player. And even in their wings, we kind of saw what happened with uh, with uh, the former USC player who they basically dealt or they, they let go in restricted free agency, renounced him, who I thought was a good player. Uh, I want to say Kieran Worthington, but I know that's wrong. Um, but he played with Kieran Worthington, and now I can't remember his name. Kenny Robertson is his name. Um, so, uh, and I, Robertson had an injury and, and something like that, uh, you know, that kind of hurt his value, and he also couldn't shoot and couldn't figure out what position he was. But, um, I mean, you couldn't really tell what he was because he couldn't get good minutes. And there's other players like that even on Atlanta's roster, like Tyson Rogers, who, uh, or, or even Courtney Tyson Parsons, Shaw. who were, you know. Tyson Shaw? Yeah, uh, well, well, Tyson Shaw has gotten minutes, hasn't played great, but he, he's proved himself to be a, a decent bench player, and I think that's what he is. But, I, I mean, no matter what, the, the Devils, if they don't do something here, they're going to run into the same problem that seems like they always do, is that they take good players, but they kind of atrophy on the bench because they don't get minutes. So um, if I'm the Devils, I'm trying to consult. I'm either I'm really trying hard to sell this pick for a future pick, especially if the board falls like this. I'm happy with McDaniel's. I'm happy with Duff. And I, if I could get a future first for this, I'm uh, I, I hit an A plus in my draft as far as I'm concerned. 
Yeah, look, I think the other the only other player you could potentially consider if you were staying in would be Joey Bullock, as I said before. Uh, but given that you'd already given that you're already investing so many minutes in a point guard who's not really a point guard in Denzel Valentine, is it Denzel or no? It's um, Drake Valentine. Denzel's the NBA one. Uh, so in so many minutes in Drake Valentine, I'd probably be hesitant to pick another one in Joey Bullock. Uh, but Joey Bullock would certainly be the alternative pick to Jackson Goss here. All right, so we're up to the Scorpions at pick 23, and I do believe that this is my turn. Um, if I this remember... Is a just to, just to really uh, G you up in case you make the wrong pick, I think this is a complete no-brainer. I'm going to make the wrong pick. Uh, refresh my memory. Who did we have the Scorpions taking at... We, we had them taking Chris Knight, right? We had them taking Chris Knight. It's good to know you, you just leave it to me to make the notes. We really need to move to Google Sheets at this point because... <laughs> you'd actually be informed as to what's going on fair enough okay can i can i play can i play 20 questions for the pick if you think it's the perfect pick is it a point guard listed as a point guard or plays as a point guard uh, okay they are joey, not listed they are not listed at point guard joey bullock is the pick here yes Okay, good. I, I I couldn't remember if we had taken him or not yet. That's why I was hesitating. So no, I I agree. I I think so. This is kind of where I think Bullock is the last pick in my mind of where there's really strong upside. I think everyone from here on out are good players. But I mean, if you told me Bullock some things clicked with him and he became an all star, I wouldn't be stunned. Um, I think everything after this pick, I'd be pretty surprised if these, if any of these players we're going to talk about become all-stars, but I do think that they'll become pretty solid starters or rotation players if they're given minutes and develop. Yeah. I think that the, I think what the, we were, what we talked about before though, in terms of like the Scorpions and why I think this is a really good pick is we talked about the team needs a couple of things. If they're going to play post-centric around swing in a slowdown system you don't necessarily need a super fucking dynamic point guard um so having a a, a point guard with decent size who is competent enough to throw an outlet uh, an inlet uh, in an inside of a, can't even think of the word um sorry inbound, in, inbound pass is no not inbound pass the yeah, inside um a lob pass inside to swing for lack of a better term, whatever, doesn't matter. Alley oop. <laughs> no, not alley oop. Anyway, to get the ball inside to Swain, you don't need to be a particularly talented point guard. It's not like running a, you know, a, you know, not like running complex fast breaks or, or seven seconds or less. It's pretty simple. Um, also, who is a, a guy who can hit threes uh, and likes to take them is a potential floor spacer, along with Chris Knight, who is a little bit more dynamic but also shoots a lot of threes. You know, that starts to get the level of three-point shooting you need to really maximize that kind of offense. If you're going to play post-centric, you basically need a big fucking beast in the middle, and then you need to fill them. You need to basically surround them with as much physical, as much shooting as possible. And I think that Knight and, and Bullock would be a really good combination in terms of starting to get that shooting in place around swing. No, I, I agree. I, if, if the board falls like, falls like this and um, the Scorpions came away with both Knight and Bullock, uh, I'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah, even Calvin would have to be nice. Um, okay, uh, 
That brings us to number 24 on the board, which is the Oklahoma City Barons. Uh, this is a, the Lumberjacks pick, uh, technically, uh, but the Barons have it. Uh, so we have given the Barons to date uh, Lorenzen Dyer, uh, and we have given them uh, Jeremy Sawell. Uh, so they have basically uh, not filled that one hole left that's at, sh uh, at small forward. So for me here, uh, they're probably going to go for one of the small forwards that is remaining. Um, I have this tier, which is the third tier of small forwards, being really quite large. <coughs> um, depending, on, depending on a team's particular level of fog and what they get back and how they view certain personality types, or, or certain traits. This is a for me. This is a a, a six man. I consider this a six man kind of tier. Actually, no, seven men because Luke Cameron was the first man in this tier. It's the biggest single tier on my draft board of seventy seven players. Um, I would say that if you're going for crazy upside at small forward. Javonte Washburn, who I have dubbed the Anna Cortez aberration because he is uh, has a seven foot seven wingspan, uh, which is a plus eight from his six eleven height, uh, is obviously a potential pick. Uh, Houston James is probably a, a a a kind of nice blend of a little bit of potential but kind of production, and then there's someone like Kadeem uh, Springer, who is probably purely a three and D guy. Um, I think any of those would be a pretty acceptable pick here. Um, but I do think that Houston James is likely the best of the three. But I really do think this is a team that needs to balance out that, um, balance it out on the wing with a bit more defense. So I'm probably going to go with Kadeem Springer. Yeah. No, I, I think that makes sense. I mean, we had talked about on this team that they could really use a small forward. Uh, we had them taking Dyer with the 15th overall pick. And, of course, they took Sawville with the first overall pick. So they really could. And that's part of the reason also you would take Dyer at 15 is because if you look at the board, you feel pretty comfortable. You can get – you can fill that small forward hole with a decent prospect all the way down. You're basically, you're basically dropping from – you know, you're dropping from Tyler Duff, who is basically a 3 and D guy with a little bit of potential to be a little bit more. Uh, down to that next tier of guys like Springer and Cameron, who are probably more set to be just that role. So yeah. you're not giving up a lot for the upside of grabbing Dyer, which yeah. also in, which also in, uh, which also is really valuable insurance in case shit gets weird with um with our boy Dutch in free agency. Yep, exactly. Uh, and I mean the piggyback off of that uh, for pick twenty five for the Scorpions. I would actually go for the, for the small forward class as well. Again, trusting the board, and I kind of go a little bit a little bit crazy here, and I take Devonte Washburn um, with this pick. Uh, just to give you an idea, I think he's six foot eleven with a seven yep, foot yep. seven inch wingspan, which is, if my math is correct, that's a plus eight wingspan. Um, and most NBA players and most JBL players, uh, I think Commission confirmed this, uh, you know, to to us is that. Uh, most NBA and JBL players like a plus three or a plus four, you get a plus eight. That that's pretty damn unusual. So that's breaking. That's, breaking. that's like multiple st st uh, statistical deviations, uh, standard deviations away from the mean. 
Yeah. So, I mean, we've, we've seen un- unusual players not kind of work out. I mean, the, the Gumby Center, uh, Marco Dujmovic from the 2023 class, one that comes to mind immediately, who just was like insane height, insane wingspan, and he didn't really quite work out. So it's not a sure thing by any means. But we're, we're talking about the 25th overall pick in the class. We're talking about, um, you know, I, I, I think at, this is a point where you take a gamble on crazy upside because if he can learn to, like, dribble the basketball and become good, he could be probably an exceptional player. Yep. Uh, so just to clarify uh, what you were saying about the wingspan, this is from Kamish because uh, we were querying this ridiculous freak of nature with him. So the rule of thumb is that a four-inch wingspan is normal uh, in terms of four inches plus four on their height. Most NBA players have a four to five-inch wingspan. About 10% have a six-inch wingspan, and then it decreases. If you're plus three or less, you're probably below average. Anything one or under is extremely rare. Equally rare as having someone who's like seven foot uh, seven seven. Uh, and then you accused him of saying, if it's minus one, it's a bug. He denied this and said, no, negative one is not a bug. Uh, and then because you were clearly trying to troll him about T-Rex, he then found an, an actual NBA player who has a negative wingspan and that negative player, that player with the negative wingspan is JJ Redick. In all honesty, so, and to, be, to be fully transparent, uh, I was not trolling Kamish. I was trolling a former owner who, who you had words with who left in a huff. Who complained about who who made that comment about some player being a bug? So that's <laughs> a little a little bit of inside because I, I remember I remember who raised that concern or that comment in the in the chat. So uh, a little bit of inside baseball. Uh, okay, so Javante Washburn uh, is off the board. You've gone the potential pick over someone a little bit less than Houston James, probably there. But I can I can see the logic in that, especially when you've already locked down you know two spots pretty comfortably. Uh, and you've made a, a short-term upgrade in uh, at power forward with um, Fuller over Jackson. I think that's you can afford to be a little bit more risque, I think, with the pick there. Risky or risque? <laughs> risque. Sexy. Okay. Risque. Oh, risque. Wow. Okay, so number 26 would have been the Cincinnati Kangs. Uh, they uh, obviously don't have their pick. Uh, they uh, made the same exchange that I did uh, recently, which is you pay your first round pick to win a championship. It generally is a fairly uh, beneficial trade-off. Um, so the Cincinnati Kings do not have uh, their first round pick. Um, if they did, I think it's fair to say they would be a, 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 a fair bet to uh, get out and get dig into the advanced stats uh, find some guy that has a really crazy high uh, three-point rate, uh, really nice defensive perimeter defense scouting, a nice win shares per 48, probably someone on a mid-major team as opposed to a top-tier kind of mob, uh, and they'd probably pick them. Uh, he'd probably be a, bit, be a bit annoyed that guys like Cameron had come off the board a little bit ahead of him. Uh, he would have probably wanted one of his uh, Cincinnati boys to uh, slummit uh, in Cincinnati, continue to slummit in Cincinnati. Uh, but um, you would assume that he's going to go, he would probably go for one of the three and D type wings that is available. So, you know, Houston James for the more well-rounded small forward, and then probably someone like Bobby Monson would probably be the next kind of option off the board for him. Yep. I think that that is completely accurate. Does not need any further analysis because the pick is forfeited. Okay. Number 20, number 27. And we have our buddy Kyle on the board once more. Ooh, Kyle, what, who are we going to take for you? Um, look, I, I think that this is going to be a common theme now. I think wings are the best players on the board. 
I think no, that the, I think there's one player with I, I think there's one player potentially worthwhile. Apart from the wings. Apart from the wings. Let me see if I could guess who he is. All right, there's one other player. Um would I take him for them? So the Lightning, if I remember correctly, do have a hole at the center position um, slash uh, power forward position, although they do have Roy Ellington, who they like a lot. If they're going to, presuming the Lightning are going to keep their current build and going to keep Slay, even if they don't with Easley, they're going to need three-point shooters elsewhere on the court. I do think that Garrett Tinsley might be the best potential player here to fit for them just because he can, if they decide to move Ellington, he can play power forward. He can play center. He can stretch the floor. And I think that uh, regardless of it's Slayer easily, you're going to need three point players at other positions. And I think Tinsley has that potential to stretch the floor. There you go. Was that a sufficient guiding prod in the right direction, Mike? <laughs> it's, it's like you're in my mind. I can't, I can't wait till I blow your head up on, on the draft on Friday night. It's going to be so much fun. I am seriously going to have to like step away from the fucking mic for a while. Okay, next up is the Dallas Predators. Uh, so uh, they had listed as needs shooting guard and point guard. Um, they've probably left it a little late, ideally, for shooting guard um, because they took Sparks earlier. Um there would have been a case to make they could have taken Bullock uh, instead of Sparks at 21, which might have been the better pick given the way the board has played out. Um, but if you're going to take a point guard or a shooting guard, I think the best uh, point guard left on the board is either uh, Torian Fisher or Ryan Washington. Um, from memory, Washington has an extra inch or I think he's 6'6 six, six and Washington 6'5". Uh, Washington is probably the slightly better floor general um, prospect, uh, but Fisher probably has a little bit more of an edge scoring the basketball, uh, given the way this team plays and the fact that in this draft we've given them Sparks as kind of a secondary playmaking hub at centre. Um, I think I would probably lean towards Torrey and Fisher. Yep. I think that makes sense. I don't really disagree with that. I think Fisher or Washington makes sense. I think the shooting guard position is pretty well picked over at this point. So I don't know if you go shooting guard. I think they just want a player who could shoot threes uh, and they'll probably take the best player available who can shoot threes. And that's where I think they would go as well. So we'll go to my last pick of the draft and that's picking for your team, the Baltimore bullets who traded in last night, trading in three future second round picks um, you have not updated your team needs, but I know from talking off channel, you're looking for a backup wing to kind of help Elijah Haskins about. Uh, I'm trying to remember who is left on the board. Uh, it looks like there is Bobby Monson, Laurius McKnight, and Damian Patterson of that tier. Houston, Houston James is also available. Ah, well, that's the pick, my friend. If Houston James is available, he will be your pick at pick 29. Okie dokie. So Houston James. And then with only two minutes on the clock before imminent arrival of children, uh, we finish they, up the draft. And they are encroaching at the door. <laughs> uh, the barbarians are at the gate. Okay. Can, I, can I just say this before you get to your pick? So I, I wake up, I, my alarm went off at 4.15. I was yeah. out of bed 4.30 and walking down the hallway of an older house. I got to the stairs and my, my five-year-old opened the door and I was like, it's too early. Go back to bed. You didn't say anything. Just closed the door and went back in. So he's he's probably been up since four thirty this morning. 
And um, God bless my wife. She's either controlled them or he went back to sleep or something. But I hear footsteps pounding above me uh, in the living room. So make the pick so we can end the podcast and I could go up and avoid the scorn from my wife. Okay, so Houston James is off the board. So Louisville Colonels pick 30. Um, there's been a lot of discussion, or not a lot, but at least some discussion around the fact that DeMarco Prince may have uh, stamped his own passport with his one-game bad display. A guy who is notoriously known for not ever turning the ball over and being a reliable kind of just like, you know, uh, wing uh, has one bad game with turnovers, probably the biggest turnover game his entire career, gets benched for the rest of the playoffs, probably makes too money for this, too much money for this team anymore, given they have paid mad cash to Thibault and Mason. He is probably not long for this world. The team will be looking to replace him in this draft. Uh, in terms of uh, shooting guard and probably also small forward, the best available remaining player is Bobby Monson. So I think that will be the pick at this spot. And well done. 6.59 I have on my clock. So we got it in in less than two all hours. It takes is, all it takes is occasionally doing the verbal equivalent of kicking you under the table to keep us on track. <laughs> fair, fair enough. So um, that's our mock draft. Uh, I don't know, Andrew, if you've been keeping score, if maybe tomorrow or something you want to post I'll, it. I'm just going to copy and paste the, the little table that I've been filling out into the channel right now. So anyone who doesn't, uh, who has it, uh, doesn't have it will have the uh, thing sitting in the channel now. Yep. So now no one's allowed to make any trades until Friday night. So you can, you all, you all lost your chance. So that our mock draft is pristine until we kick off the draft on Friday night. I know everyone will listen to that and obeyed by it. So uh, I'm going to make that warning now and uh, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you in about, uh, let's see what's 60 hours from now. Fantastic. I look forward to it. It's always a fun day. All right. Well, have, have a good night, everyone. Talk to y'all soon. Catch folks. Bye.